Hello, and welcome to History is Gay, a podcast that examines the underappreciated and overlooked queer ladies, gents, and gentle envies that have always been there in the unexplored corners of history, because history has never been as straight as you think. It's Lee here on another uh, quarantined Saturday when we're recording this, and I would really like to welcome back to the podcast author and queer historian Sarah Prager, the author of Queer There and Everywhere, to talk about her new book, Rainbow Revolutionaries, 50 LGBTQ plus people who made history. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you so much for having me back. <laughs> it's so good to have you again. It- is a pleasure to be here across the country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, across the country, across the time. Um, I think it's been about like two years since we last talked, something yes, like that. Should be something um, like that. Yeah, because you were the very first person that we interviewed when we were starting the show. You were uh, our very first uh, minisode, so uh, it's nice to kind of bring it back and a little little revisiting. And the pod has come so far. Yeah, it's so delightful. Um. If, uh, listeners, if you are new and would like an introduction to Sarah and her work, we highly recommend you go listen to our first ever Minnesota. Um, you could just scroll back in the feeds. We interviewed Sarah about queer there and everywhere and got some of the basics. But today we're going to kind of talk about what you've been up to since, get an update on, on your life and, and your experience in the world of queer history and talk about the new book. All right. So talk, just talk to me a little bit about what you've been up to since we, since we talked last. There's been a lot of, a lot of changes. Yes, there have. Well, two years ago, I had one kid. Now I have two kids. So that's baby. probably the biggest change. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I had a baby who is now three and a half. And she is dealing with quarantine through a Disney princess lens. Uh, oh, she Rapunzel? Yeah. Or, or um, Elsa? You know, like all of them. <laughs> Just all smushed into one. She hasn't gone by her birth name since her baby sibling was born um, because she has been going by Ariel, Jasmine, etc. names. And then um, also sometimes like Daniel Tiger or... uh, Oh, I love that. Yeah, other characters. And it's been... It's very... It's exhausting, to be honest, because um, while I love the creativity and I want to respect her being called um, whatever she wants to be called, she changes what she wants to be called multiple times a day. And um, everyone else's names change at the same time. So if she's Jasmine, then her sister is Abu and I'm the genie. And we all have to go by those names. And um, <laughs> we, we have been playing along for quite a while now because the baby's nine months old. But um, yeah, it's fun. And but yeah, she has been talking about like she is trapped in an ice palace or in a tower (laughs) or all of the other. It's there's a lot of um, 
captivity in the Disney princess yeah. stories. There <laughs> really is. Kind of go along. Uh, yeah, so we're just like princessing along through quarantine. Um, the baby has started crawling since quarantine started. So that's also new. Since a couple years ago, we have moved from Connecticut to Massachusetts. And yeah, and I have a new book. So you have a new th- book. those are some of the new things. Nice. And is uh is Quist still going and you're you're still you're still touring around. I mean not right now, but still yeah. touring around giving giving queer history education talks. Yes, I've been speaking a lot over the last couple of years. They're online now. I, I am still booking for October for LGBT History Month. Awesome. Uh, so for in person stuff and we'll see Hopefully that'll happen uh, <laughs> or they'll be moved online too. But um, yeah, still speaking. I'm also a freelance writer now. Um, so I've been kind of covering queer culture and news and history. Yeah. Yeah. You did some really interesting, some really cool articles recently. And I know, I know a while ago um, you did a, the history of, of different queer flowers. Yes. I love that one. Which was that so one. much fun. Yeah. So that's on JSTOR daily and so i did the queer history of four different flowering plants because one of Mm -hmm. them was a flowering herb not a flower right and so i learned a lot and i i definitely recommend it it's on um all my clips and list of my my articles are at sarahprager.com and so you can find the flowering plants one there too but um it was super interesting to research that one yeah i mean and i definitely referred to that um and and used it in in some of my like looking for for research for for my presentation on on queer symbols which was really fun um Everything was kind of like converging around the same time because I was also doing research for our Sappho episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to figure out the lines of like, no, don't go into all the Violet stuff in the Sappho episode. Keep right. it for the other one. Right. Um, you know, and then you've got Oscar Wilde and his good old green carnation. Exactly. Um, what yeah, a dramatic hoe. I brought up Sappho <laughs> again in an article I, I just recently did for Extra on how the term lesbian is much less popular as a self-identifier now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been de- in decline uh, as more and more folks, um, you know, the, I don't want to use the word like trend, but it is like a, a demographic trend um, that people are identifying as bisexual more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I think just as our as our understanding of gender becomes, you know... Absolutely. Like more expansive people... Right. It's kind of... Um, Folks are kind of seeing it as binary. And although, of course, included in there in the article, it was quotes from a few different non-binary lesbians. Mm-hmm. Uh, so lesbian is just one of my favorite words because, because <laughs> of that connection to place. Like, right. I love just kind of seeing myself as like a descendant of the Isle of Lesbos. Of Lesbos. Like, I am a sister of Sappho. Like, it just feels so... <laughs> I mean... My favorite story is that, like, God, what was it, like, 2004 or something like that? The 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 residents of Lesbos yes, trying to go I love to that. the yep, court. I put that in the article. They tried to sue. <laughs> they tried to like, sue. And the judge is just like, no, 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 this is, I'm throwing this out. This is very stupid. Lesbian has come to learn, so, mean so much more. And I, I mean, I visited the island 
Um, really? I did. I did. Oh, wow. um, uh, like 20 years ago now. Oh, that's not true. How old am I? <laughs> about 15 it's weird i know it's weird it's weird when we get to the age where we can be like oh yes 20 years ago like oh that's actually no you're right i was old enough to have memories and experiences well i guess it was about 15 years ago and it was it was cool because the whole island is full of lesbians with a capital l because Mm -hmm. everyone from the island is a lesbian but most of them are just like farmers um, who are not lesbians and you know you take a I, I feel like I told this on the episode here I don't know if I did maybe people who listen back will be like I've heard this uh, but <laughs> you take a bus from the one airport on a little propeller plane that takes you from Athens and then you take a bus across the entire island which takes about three hours and you get to Sappho's birthplace and that town is lesbian central. And, right, right. You know, you come out of all the farmland and donkeys, and then you're just in rainbows, and every bar is a lesbian bar, and every hotel is a lesbian hotel, and every beach is a lesbian beach, and it's, you know, lowercase L's. And right, it was, yeah. It was wonderful. That's beautiful. I love that. I that's, that's a goal I would love to visit someday. Yeah, I definitely want to go back. <laughs> Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the new book, which is really gorgeous. Um, I got a I got a sneak peek of it for this. Um, so everyone else, uh, please, as soon as it comes out, which is on May twenty sixth, please go and get it and order it from indie bookstores because it's gorgeous and I love Thank it. You. This one is aimed at a at a younger audience than your previous book, Queer There and Everywhere, which was written for like teen and YA audiences. Right. I wanted to kind of start the conversation off by asking you what were some of the challenges and conversely some of the freedoms that writing for, you know, like middle grade and younger presented when writing specifically about queer people in history. Absolutely. So when writing for teens, you want to be coming up with like what was their dating life like? What who did they hook up with? Who'd they have a crush on? Like all of this stuff that centers around like brings emotion into the story. And when writing for a younger audience than teens, you or I uh, wanted to I mean, you want to keep it appropriate. You're, you're, you're writing about somebody's sexuality without talking about sex. And so it was a challenge in a sense. In other ways, it's much easier because the research for Queer There and Everywhere uh, involved finding many different quotes, anecdotes, stories, details, specifics to bring a narrative chapter to life. The mini biographies that make up Rainbow Revolutionaries are one page long, just a few Mm -hmm. paragraphs. So the research, you know, once you have a basic sketch of the person's life, you have most of what you need already. And while I do go on to include anecdotes and quotes and stories that will make that one page come to life, you know, you might only need one or two instead of a dozen. And so I did find that liberating in a sense. And it's actually part of why I wrote this book, because some of the people who I wanted to tell stories of 
in Queer There and Everywhere, there wasn't enough historical data out there to put together a full chapter about their life. Mm -hmm. And I was able to include them in this book because I didn't need a depth of research that I would have needed for a teen audience. So one example of somebody who I I put in the acknowledgments of Queer There and Everywhere because I wanted to include their story so badly. And, you know, I just wrote an apology in the back of the book (laughs) that I couldn't find a way to do it. That person is in Rainbow Revolutionaries, and their name is Francisco Manicongo. And they were brought as an enslaved person from what is today Angola to Brazil in the late 1500s. And we barely know anything about their life. And the only reason we do is because they were put on trial Mm -hmm. for refusing to wear gender conforming clothing and Western clothing and also for sodomy. Uh, I know so so much of the records of everyday queer people comes from, you know, legal proceedings. Absolutely. So we we know just a bit of this person's story from the court case, but there was just so much missing. And it didn't feel right to have a book without, you know, including the slave trade and how there were queer people involved in that too. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, (laughs) that was also, you know, you mentioned that it's a pretty book and like having the illustrations done for this one was another difference between preparing the two books that some of it was easier and some was harder where it was we also in addition to fact checking the text you have to make the illustrations and give a lot of specific direction to make sure Mm -hmm. that they're entirely accurate as well and sometimes you needed to take artistic license like with a portrait of francisco because there is zero imagery of this person so the artist just had to create her best guess and so i'm glad that this person has a professional portrait done of them i wish it could have been based off of what they really might have looked like um Mm -hmm. but either way i hope their entry in the book honors them and at least raises awareness in readers who are still starting to maybe unlearn some of what they learned in elementary school. When they Mm -hmm. come into middle school, they might be ready to not see Christopher Columbus as a hero and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I hope that this book helps them to unlearn some of the history class tropes they might have picked up at an even right. younger age. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you 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 started answering a question that I was actually <laughs> just going to ask, which is, you know, talking about the, the illustrations in the book. Yeah. So Queer There and Everywhere had, you know, a little portrait of everyone. Yeah. But this book is colorful and vibrant. And every person gets their own page with with backgrounds. And there's also a beautiful border around the text. Right. I, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about what it was like working with an illustrator and bringing these stories to life. Some of which, like you like you mentioned, are folks that we don't have any visual record for. Right. So how how did y'all work as a team to accurately reflect them as well as kind of create these 
I like to think of them as little tableaus. You're, yes, they're they're not just straight up portraits. They're they're pictures, illustrations of these people going about their lives and and yeah, we, doing we put things. them in in scenes and mm-hmm. and you're right. The borders around the text on the so every person has a two page spread. If we haven't made it clear yet. The, there's a left page that is a full page portrait and the right page is the text and that has an illustrated border around it as well that is customized to that person. So there's a story of a trans doctor who pioneered x-ray technology and actually helped to flatten the curve of another disease 100 years ago in the U.S. through his work. And so, for example, being a doctor, there are little stethoscopes and things in his order, and the text of his name is written out in bones um, for (laughs) x-ray reference. And the portrait of him is him looking at like an x-ray slide. So creating them trying to choose just like one thing. I mean, try to think (laughs) about like, if you could choose one thing for your portrait of you to be doing, like, I feel like for me, I would be at pride with a rainbow flag or that would probably be my thing. I don't know. What about you? Oh God. Yeah. That's a hard question. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Probably just yeah. Yeah. In archives, um, in, in a museum hanging, yeah. Hanging right. things like Gilbert Baker's flag, which right. I never thought would be something that I got to do. And then I got to do that back in so November. Amazing. Like, Oh, cool. Yeah. I, I talk about, I talk about Gilbert Baker and here I am a year later hanging up Holding one of his, actual, one of his yeah, rainbow flags. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So like Gilbert Baker is one of the 50 people in the book mm-hmm. and his is just like an explosion of a rainbow. Explosion. Just, just <laughs> full rainbow pages. So, you know, that one was kind of easy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> for choosing one outfit, for example, like, mm-hmm. so yeah, we did try to make sure folks had historically accurate clothing. And we even put like street names and things like that in the illustrations that are reflective of where they would have been. And a lot of times they relate to the text. So the text for Jose Saria talks about how he performed in red high heels. And so we made sure that the shoes that he's wearing performing in drag in his portrait are red. So Mm -hmm. it was so fun. And (laughs) I can't explain the excitement of seeing like the first drafts of queer people that I've never seen, you know, memorialized in an artist's portrait before Mm -hmm. to it's such like, I mean, to have your portrait done is a sign of respect. And so to be able to be a part of creating that for some people who have never had portraits done of them, Mm -hmm. um, or their contributions to society not recognized because they were queer, it it was just seeing seeing like a batch of files come in. It w- was just yeah. so awesome. It's a really neat way to honor yeah. folks who have just been pushed away. Yeah. Which is yeah. really neat. Uh, so we made sure it was colorful. We made sure it was creative. And I, I'm really proud of the illust- how the illustrations came out, even though I'm not the artist. Um, the artist is Sarah Papworth. Sarah Papworth. Who lives right. in England. 
Uh, two two SPs on the same Yeah, book. that was fun. Two Sarahs and two Sarah P's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we just said Sarah Paps in the emails at a certain point. Yeah, there's that, that's there's got to be a nickname in there somewhere because yes. <laughs> Sarah P ain't gonna work. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to circle back a little bit about the the text for each person. Mm-hmm. So with only a, a one page, like you've got the two page spread and only one one page. And yeah. these are pages that are like 250, 300 words per person. Mm-hmm. How did you, I mean, other than, you know, folks who don't have a huge amount in the historical record, there are people in the book who did so much oh, yeah. and had so much to do with their lives. Um how did you decide for those folks yeah. what to focus on and highlight from their lives? I mean, you could have several books written of about course. some of these people. Yes, and there are. Um, and there are. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was hard getting a life down to six pages in Queer There and Everywhere. Right. <laughs> like, I did Abraham Lincoln in Queer There and Everywhere, and I never even mentioned, like, politics, his presidency, mm-hmm. practically. I was just kind of right. focusing on his one relationship with Joshua Fry Speed for the most part. And so I think that's kind of what you have to do. You have to choose what you're going to focus on. And so the angle of both of these books is kind of these people's queer side that hasn't been told or focused on. Most of the time, if you hear a story about somebody like Abraham Lincoln, it doesn't talk about his love life. So I wanted to be the one that would talk about his love life. So for the really famous people, I tried to find lesser known anecdotes to include. And I think, I mean, with everybody, the key is the details to make it an interesting story. So you don't want it to read like just an encyclopedia entry of the person's life. It still has to be Mm -hmm. storytelling and especially for kids. So, you know, it might start with a vignette of, let's see, I'm just thinking of the, the doctor that I mentioned. He really loved visiting his grandparents growing up um, because his grandparents always saw him as a grandson, even though he was assigned female at birth. And that was just kind of like a safe place for him to go. And so I think that's something that youth could relate to. That's another side, Mm -hmm. like try to find something from that happened to the person when they were the age of the reader to help them relate. And, you know, I mentioned his grandparents and how they respected him. And it's just kind of this little detail that doesn't necessarily have to do with his work as a physician, but makes him a person for... Brings, yeah, brings him to life. Yeah. This, is, uh, this is Alan Hart you're talking about, That's right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Alan Hart, there's like a few sentences about the pioneering medical work and just like for most folks, um, you're not necessarily giving a summary of their life for the full page. You're using some of that to be little stories throughout their life. And so, you know, there's another woman, Ricky, um, from Botswana, who um, is one of the people in the book who's alive today and that I was able to interview uh, for the book. And her story is about how she won a landmark case in Botswana for trans rights by Mm. um, being able to change the gender marker on her national ID card. And so, you know, the bulk of her story is that it 
mentions a little bit about her childhood, a few sentences about after the case, but her story is kind of bringing awareness to this age of reader that changing your gender marker on an ID might even be a thing for people. Um, <laughs> is It might be the first time that a cis reader ever even thought of that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you still have to pick little use up parts of your one page telling very small parts of a life and then use a few sentences to get across the big summary biography bits too Mm -hmm. and i mean just like if you try to imagine (laughs) boiling down your life into one uh scene like we did for a portrait it's the same thing with the text it is it is i mean I can't, I can't imagine, like, trying to get Julie, uh, oh god, I can never pronounce her name, um, Julie D'Algenay. De- oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so many things. Um, I guess. See, I can't do French. <laughs> yeah, Julie, like, yeah. oh my god. So you just say <laughs> some adjectives of, like, <laughs> yes. Julie was. <laughs> I well, that, um, that was, like, when we were talking about, uh, and Lister in our recent episode, we were just like, well, we, you know, we did it as a live episode and we're like, we don't have time to get into all of this. So we're just going to say she's an adventure lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think Julie is probably right, right up there with oh her is in the, in the adventure lesbian or adventure bisexual. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Julie was, was bi and then like probably female, but unclear. Yeah. Um, People have been clamoring us, uh, clamoring for us to do an episode on her for oh, so long. We're like, I, it's we're me. like, she's 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 on the list, y'all. Don't worry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would love, like, oh my gosh. You want to come on for an for an episode? I would. <laughs> I'm looking for I'm looking for co-hosts. I would. <laughs> I, my my wife also lobbied hard for some people to be included. Julie's on that list where she was like, I don't know why she wasn't in Queer There and Everywhere. I'm still upset about it. You better include her. <laughs> In Rainbow Revolutionary. It's just, it's just, I mean, a, a sword fighting. Like a dueling, opera singing, um, convent burning. Like, right? What? what? Like, <laughs> oh, just amazing. So, yeah, Julie is, is sword fighting in um, her portrait. And, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and your Christina has their favorite portrait of themselves on the, on the horse. Yeah. Yeah, too. Yes, great. riding off, which is just kind of like I feel like whenever I tell Christina's story, that's the like image people come across away with is just like riding off away from Sweden. This is an adult pot, like no fucks given. Like, <laughs> yeah, swear away. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, so badass, and it's so <laughs> people get so excited when they hear about the badasses of history, and I mm-hmm. think. Um, it's half the fun of what we do with this podcast. We're just like, wow, these these people are these so people cool. Where's my movie that? about like, them? Actually, did that? Like, I'm still angry that there isn't a feature film about Claude Cahoon and Marcel Moore and pranking Nazis. Like, where's Where's my film? Someone make it. Films need to happen about most of these people, and but as you know, they're not always done in ways that make us happy so <coughs> the girl king excuse um. me sorry <coughs> it's a little bit of um homophobia caught in my throat <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah um, uh, although i have not shared i will give you a little scoop for some exclusive ooh. news the tv rights for queer there and everywhere have been optioned to a Yay! production company um 
And that may happen in the years to come. Optioning is Ooh. like a really early step, but right. like it's very Everybody exciting. cross your fingers. Way, yeah. Well, I look I look forward to that potentiality cuz that would be amazing. Um is there so so you talked about how your your wife lobbied for like Julie to be included in mm-hmm. this book. Um is there anybody that didn't make the cut this time? Like did you do I mean you had 50 people this time, but was there anyone that you were like, "Ah, uh, part 2." Yeah, I, so I ha- I have a list. It's somewhere around 25 now where if Rainbow Revolutionaries does well, I want to be like ready to go for Rainbow Revolutionaries too because mm-hmm. there is absolutely enough for another 50. Um, yeah. yeah, there are people who ended up, you know, they were under consideration. And one of the factors for being included is ends up just being the mix and diversity of people. So if I already have enough, like, white men stories, like, mm-hmm. some white men are going to get cut. Um, yeah, well, and you know, I don't think anyone's too upset about it. But um Maybe the white men. You know, yeah. That's okay. But there are, like, yes, I had a lot of U.S. stories, and you can't tell all of them. And so, for example, like, I was only going to choose one between Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith, Mm -hmm. which for listeners who don't know, like, they're both from the exact same era. They're both blues singers. They're both from, like, the same country, and they knew each other. Like, it's just, I I was going to choose one to tell, like, a blues story. And Mm -hmm. the only people I made an exception for was Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, because you can't really not include um, one of them just because they're from the same era. And, like, they they did do um, similar work in the same place, but how could you just... Right. You you can't. Um, (laughs) So that's... Like, one example where, like, Bessie Smith would have been a great addition to the book, but there was already a very similar story telling the the same era and place. And, you know, there are stories in Asia and Africa and Latin America that I don't want to give up for another U.S. story Mm -hmm. if I'm already telling something similar. So that's where a lot of the cuts end up being made. Um, Right. It also... You know, did they make history enough? Which, you know, you feel really harsh um, being like, uh, you know, you changed your state's laws, but not your country's laws or something <laughs> like that, where they're all they're huge accomplishments. But, um, you know, maybe just being a famous name might not end up being enough to right. be like, you know, you were famous for writing and I have a lot of writers or something like that. So, um mm-hmm. Just looking it's, at kind of different. I mean, all of these people yeah. were like, yeah, you want diversity, not just of race, gender, sexual orientation, etc., but also era, field, all kinds of different things to make sure as many people as possible are seeing themselves represented in the book. Yeah, I love how global this book is. Yes, that too. that was part of the issue with queer there and everywhere. It was more Western centric than I had hoped because of the the research limits and issues that I was running into where there wasn't, I mean, you know, Francisco is just the perfect example uh, where there were just, there was not enough info on him for a chapter. And this format allowed me to tell the stories of people where maybe their, 
their stories. It just expanded the possibilities in a lot of ways. And that expanded the, the global diversity. So um, there's over 20 countries um, represented in the book. And yeah, and there's a map in the front, which is yeah, so delightful. That's one of my favorite things is the love a book with a map. Besides, yeah, <laughs> besides the fifty stories, there's also a world map, a timeline of LGBTQ plus history. There's just bonus illustrations too, where we have illustrations of different queer pride symbols and queer pride flags for different all mm-hmm. the different identities. And so, though that back matter it's called, um, was really fun to help design as well and just look into all of the, I mean, like you, I love the like symbology side of queer history. And there's just so many little things like the the last page has a little green carnation on it. I'm just right. I noticed that. Yeah. I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, it makes me so happy. Moving away from the book a little bit. I kind of wanted to just talk about the last couple of years, um, sure. you know, a lot can happen in a few years. And since we chatted last, have you seen any difference in the way that people are interacting with and discussing queer history? I mean, since then, we've had the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of fervor around that. There have been more states adding LGBTQ history requirements in their uh, history uh, curriculums and legislation. Right. We have the FAIR Act in California. There's one in Massachusetts now as well, I believe, sort of. Well, um, there, Massachusetts, as far as I know, is not one of the 10 or so states that have added, you know, passed an act like California's FAIR. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I'm just thinking of history and erased and the work that they do. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Just thinking of them. Yes. Um, they are Massachusetts based and there's a lot of other awesome stuff here where we have like a queer inclusive sex ed bill being passed for public schools and or it I mean it's been tabled now for this mm-hmm. year until um, with the pandemic but that's something that like our statewide LGBTQ rights organization is working on and there is queer history included in the statewide curriculum however it is not mandated like has been passed by other state legislatures so if a school or teacher opts out of the queer history portion they can do that which is why i would like to see massachusetts pass an actual bill mandating queer history requirement uh Mm -hmm. education and at the same time i'm very excited and grateful about the inclusion in the curriculum which i think is came out a couple years ago now Mm -hmm. um but yeah so yeah I, i have seen more i mean you do see post california being the first a bunch of other states over the last couple of years have added this into their school into their classrooms i think i would say over the past like five or ten years i've seen differences not as much over just the last two i would say post national marriage equality there was a shift Mm -hmm. I'm able, like as a freelance writer, I'm able to pitch mainstream publications on queer history stories instead of queer niche news sites. Right. And that was probably not true just a few years ago. Where, you know, there wouldn't have been blatant queer phobia where they're like, we refuse to publish LGBTQ content. It would have just been like, oh, this isn't really what our readers are looking for. Um, Right. 
And I feel like it seems to be in the in the zeitgeist a lot more to see yeah. articles popping up like, hey, this person that you didn't know from history right. was queer or seeing comics come out, yeah. you know, like like little webzines. Yes. Um, yeah. Or I mean, even not just history, but I mean, the same would be true of just like queer news is becoming news. Mm. But until that is like, I still write the majority of queer content for queer media and queer media is really suffering right now. Um, There have been, I've had multiple places where I, you know, I ran a story with them last week, this week they're laid off right? or the entire publication folded or they're, they're still around, but they're not taking freelance pitches anymore because of budget constraints. And so that, um, yeah, that's been a change in the last month (laughs) yeah so listeners if you if you follow a queer media site that has a subscription program and you have the means to give to it give to it (laughs) (laughs) give to it (laughs) queer media is struggling right now all media is struggling right and now. You know, you don't, Queer people in general. Even if you can't financially contribute, I just listened to a online panel of people from queer women's media outlets a few days ago, and they were like, just at least interact. Give us a like. Give us a retweet. Right. Give us a comment. That kind of thing helps them bring their case to advertisers for showing like if they can show social media engagement they're more likely to be able to get funding so you can support just by clicking and reading mm-hmm. so you've got you've got the book coming up and you've got uh you have a an online release party that's going to be happening yes. on the 26th right yes so plug that plug it okay (laughs) may 26th is the date that the book comes out it is also the date that i am gonna have an online party uh who needs to go to (laughs) new york city when you can be at home (laughs) (laughs) i am going to have like a rainbow revolutionaries rainbow cake coming over to my house on that day um it's going to be at 1 p.m eastern time and there's a facebook event and if you go to the sarah periger facebook page you'll see it there that's the only link i can really um (laughs) plug i guess would be sarahperiger.com or facebook.com slash sarah m prager yeah we'll we'll put the uh we'll put the links to the event on our uh, blog so right now it's a facebook event but there will be links to another online platform going up and I'm going to be reading from it. And I have some special guests pre-recording some questions for a Q and a names. I cannot reveal at this time, uh, but everyone will just have to tune in. You will to figure out who the surprise guests are. Yes. And yeah, it'll be a Q and a, you'll probably see my kids and my wife cause they will be the only in-person <laughs> attendees. And yeah, I think my Facebook page, in addition to my Twitter and my Instagram, are probably the best places if you want previews of the book, because I have been starting to post some, I've been going live to read different biographies from it. And we're, you know, starting to leak some portraits from the book and stuff like that. And that's the kind of stuff you can see. And you don't need to wait till May 26th to buy the book because it is available for pre-order. It is. And it is an awesome way to support an independent bookstore at the same time as supporting queer history education and me and my children. Yes, support (laughs) queer artists and authors. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I mean, I know, you know, like this book is on the on the horizon. Um, uh, but are there any other projects that you've got cooking? Yeah, I have a few proposals out for next projects. There's always a new article on the horizon for me, but I am looking to do future books, future projects, nothing to announce, huh? (laughs) Future podcast. Yeah, you know. (laughs) We'll see. Um, I think, yeah, I'm very focused right now on this book coming out and being a success to help make those future projects possible. I'm so excited to shove this in the, I think I said this, at the, I think I said this the last time we talked about Queer There and Everywhere. I'm so excited to shove this into the hands of every parent that Yay. I know. And be like, here you go. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. Do you have, um, I guess we'll kind of finish on this. I mean, you know, it's like picking children. But do you have a favorite from, mm. from this book? Um, I know last time it was Christina. So you have to pick somebody different. Somebody different. Well, yeah, Christina makes a repeat (laughs) appearance. I think it's fair to say, like, anybody who made it into both books, which is about 10 folks, um, are repeats. Um, Let's say somebody unique to this book. Probably Julie. (laughs) Because, like, the combination of just... So, all right, for people who don't know, Julie, a total, like, romancer of everyone around i'm I'm gonna use she her pronouns i am not sure what she might have chosen if she were alive today because you know she was also into um androgynous dress and sometimes male dress sometimes female dress however that is defined but that was part of what she was known for was like the androgyny so only because she used she her for herself in her lifetime as far as i can tell from sources but julie so like a few little stories about julie julie had a girlfriend whose parents like caught them being in a relationship and sent their daughter to a convent to not be able to be with Julie anymore. Julie attacked the convent um, <laughs> to liberate her girlfriend and burned the whole thing to the ground. Burned it, just burned <laughs> like, it down. What? Um, she she and Anne Bonnie would get along. Right? Right? Oh my gosh. I <laughs> back to the did. back to the shipping. Like <laughs> Um, yeah, so they escaped. She was just always escaping. Like, multiple times they were like, we sentence you to death. And she was like, I'm just gonna cross a border and (laughs) hope this blows over. And it would, because then, like, the king of France, this is all in France, I don't think we mentioned, like, would pardon her and then be like, I sentence you to death again. There's now a warrant again. And then (laughs) she's like, peace. Like, she's at this party and kisses a girl right and then three guys challenge her to a duel over it because they (laughs) wanted the girl and then she beats them all she fights off all three guys and wins but sword dueling was illegal at the time so she has to escape again and like she escapes with a guy at one point and like also by trade is an opera singer right like I believe, like, for the Paris opera, just, like, performing on stage, except dressing, um, like, androgynously, so even, like, making a scene through something even, like, more traditional, and then Mm -hmm. I just, 
oh my gosh, like an opera singing, sword fighting <laughs> ruffian. Like you just you sit here and you go, how did this person actually exist? How was this not somebody's? Uh, like, I know. Well, then OC. you start to wonder, like, is this legend? But I think right. like that's why their story has lasted. Is because like why we've heard of this name is because she was just like wow. Prolific, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, uh, Julie is truly one of my favorites in the book. <laughs> Julie truly. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for coming back and oh, chatting. Thank you. I'm really excited for everyone to get their hands on this book. I love it. It's gorgeous. I love you. You're Aww. awesome. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or mention that we haven't discussed? Uh, pre-order the book through an independent bookstore like we said mm -hmm. it is available through like barnes and noble and amazon and everywhere but like it is truly best for everybody in the world yes. if um like including me as an author if you use an independent bookstore to place your order um you can always go to you can always go to indiebound.com yes. and you can see what uh nearby local independent bookstores there are. Um I know you can't leave your house to go to them, but stimulating your local economy and, yeah. and, and yep. local they independence are is always online great. Orders right now and mm -hmm. um bookshop.org is another great option besides indiebound.com and Oh, another exciting thing about this book is that in addition to an ebook, which was also a format for Queer There and Everywhere, this one has an audiobook. Yes. Also available for pre-order. Near I just got to hear the two-minute clip of the narration of the introduction page. Aww. And <gasps> I I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. An actress named Inés del Castillo, who was in an SVU episode, is mm -hmm. my personal, like, she has other claims to fame. But, like, for me, I was like, you met Olivia Benson. Um, <laughs> like, narrates. And she's just so great. So I'm really into the audiobook. And it just makes queer history that much more accessible that there is an audiobook this time for mm -hmm. folks where all this visual stuff that we're talking about is not their jam. So um, yeah, that's another thing. You could pre-order that. Send copies to you, all your friends and anyone. Yes. Because also, it might be a children's book, but it's just, it's really beautiful. And I have it as a coffee table book in your adult apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, I we've we've talked so much about it, but it really is just gorgeous to look at. Sarah sent me the preview of it a while ago so I I could know what I was talking about when we talked, and it's just it's just it's really pretty and you can get lost in each spread because there's so many little things to find. Like, mm. you know, like with uh, the name in Bones and Yeah, Billie Jean King's name is written in tennis rackets. It's so cute. Beautifully designed. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so you we'll, so we'll finish much. up with uh, <laughs> Nick. You, uh, we'll finish up. You've mentioned your website, sarahprager.com, yep. Um, but do you want to drop your your social media handles so people can follow you? Sure. On the well, internets? first I'll say it's Sarah with an H, S A R A H, and then P R A G E R on Facebook. It's Sarah M Prager. Please like my page instead of friending my personal profile and <laughs> boundaries that happens a lot i am sarah underscore prager on twitter and i am at sarah prager books on instagram wonderful well thank you so much for coming by again 
digitally. Um, yeah. Not like, like we, everything you know, is. Did I, yeah, we did this a couple of years ago and it was like, oh, this is so weird. We're online. <laughs> <Ooh. it's> like, <laughs> no, everything right. now. It's like when we're all out of this, you'll come to the Bay Area and we'll we'll do some in-person stuff. Oh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I need to bring my yeah. kids there. We visited before kids and now, I mean, you've got like museums and animals and parks. It's mm-hmm. going to be great. Yeah, some fun stuff. Um, so I wish you all the best and yep. happiness and health, health. And I will see you on May 26th for your pub day yeah. release party. Thank you. I will see you there. You know, we'll see. My wife is like, <laughs> another thing? Um. <laughs> get, your, get your wife on board. She can come right? talk. I know. She'll just be like, hi. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have that like patched, like edited in. Yeah. Just like every five minutes. I was just, just like, going to say every five I minutes. I love her. <laughs> yeah. Whenever we tell another crazy story about her, it'll just be like Liz's voice yeah. being like, I love her. <laughs> well, that's, that's what it was like um, when V and I were recording our episode on Christina. Yeah. When we were talking about how they had fallen for a couple of other handmaidens, when I was editing it weeks later... I texted them and I was like, oh my god, V, we forgot to make a feudal lord and handmaiden joke. <laughs> Missed opportunity. And V sent over this amazing like patch of them bursting through a and like slamming open a door, running up to the mic and we go, feudal lord, handmaiden joke. Please continue. <laughs> And it was it was perfect. I was like, "Yep, that that works." We're like, "How did we get through this episode without making that joke?" Hindsight no, is twenty twenty. Really, my wife were invited on, she's pretty funny. I bet that we could have a fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. I'll 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 pester you about it. All right. Um. Well, you've got uh, kids to take care of and and yep. book publication stuff to get ready for. So I will let you go. Um. Thank you again. Yep, and thank you again. Uh, I'm excited for for things in the future. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Appreciate right, thank it. You. Yeah.